everybody. Chris Webster here to talk about one of the latest supporters to the Archaeology Podcast Network, The Motley Fool. Now, I've been investing in the stock market through various applications for a few years now, and everybody who's listening to this can benefit from that sort of investment for the long-term financial planning. And also, I know the hosts of these podcasts can benefit because as archaeologists, like none of us get retirement, <laughs> we all have to kind of fend for ourselves. So investing in the stock market is a good idea, but not everybody can do it. And look, we get it. The market is complicated and confusing, and to many of us, it simply doesn't make sense. In fact, where do you even start? Take all of the guesswork out of it with the Motley Fool Stock Advisor. The Motley Fool has been around for over 25 years and has been spot on in recommending some of the world's most important companies before they hit the big time. I'm talking about Amazon, Tesla, Netflix, Starbucks, all before they exploded in value. With their easy to use and super informative service, Stock Advisor, you could join the ranks before they potentially find the next big thing. After all, their average stock recommendation is up over 400% as of April 10th, 2023. And no need to be intimidated by financial jargon or market complexities. As the name suggests, these guys don't take themselves too seriously. Now, finances, that's a different story. Their friendly and relaxed approach has helped over 700,000 people move closer to financial independence, all while beating the market and having fun. New members can access Stock Advisor for only $89 for their first year, a full $110 off the full list price. Don't sit on the sidelines and think about what could have happened. Visit fool.com slash APN to start your investing journey today. That's $110 discount off of $199 per year list price. Membership will renew annually at the then current list price. So again, check the link in the show notes of this episode. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 63 of Archaeo Animals, the zoo archaeology of Predator. I'm your host, Alex Fitzpatrick, and with me as always, Shimona Falanga. And it's that time of the year again. It's time for our spooky Halloween episode, which I think we've only really done one other one. So I don't know why I'm acting like it's an annual thing. It is now. But. It is now. <laughs> and, you know, we're tackling the zoo archaeology of the Predator franchise for folks who are just joining the podcast now. Just a reminder, if you want to go back and listen to our last Halloween themed episode, it was on their fearsome foes slash prey, the aliens of the alien franchise. It's uh, episode 52, Xenomorph Archaeology from November of 2022. I guess we could start with a quick, or as quick as possible, an overview of the Predator franchise. It's less, less confusing, though, than the Alien franchise, I feel like. There's more stuff in the Alien franchise. Yes and no, because there's, there's some, yeah, Predator movies that I'm not sure where they quite fit in, and then you have all the, <laughs> true, alien, yeah, true, the, true. All the AVP and just, yeah, yeah. yeah it goes. True. But it all, it all started in 1987 with just Predator, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, which depicts a military rescue team facing off the title of Predator in Central America during a mission. Interestingly enough, this is very tangential, but I've actually watched the film that inspired the original 1987 Predator. Uh, it's a film called Without Warning, it stars Martin Landau and Jack Palance, and it's uh, pretty terrible, but it was apparently a 
direct inspiration on Predator to the point that the actor who plays the Predator, the actor in the suit, is the same actor who plays the alien in Without Warning, which literally just looks like a big head alien. So not that scary. I've not heard of this film before. We only heard about it recently. Every year we try and watch our horror films, you know, and we've been trying to get into the, the worst horror films, like just really like nitty gritty in the deepest, darkest muck of film. So we did watch this one. <laughs> but yeah, I only only watched it recently. And I just remembered like, oh, yeah, it has a connection to Predator. But we won't be talking about the zoo archaeology of that because it's a bad movie. And also the aliens kind of look like sand dollars. So there's not a lot to talk about. Then Predator was followed by Predator <laughs> 2 in 1990, starring Danny Glover. Uh, was set in was set in the late 90s in Los Angeles, where another Predator shows up in the middle of a heat wave and increasing tensions between city gangs. Which is also another reason why global warming is really bad, because then the Predator shows up and kills a bunch of people. And it's got some potentially problematic attitudes uh, about inner city gang violence. Yeah, it's a serviceable action film with just a, a dash of stereotyping. It, yeah, a, a, but a, it's a dash, but, yes. But it's, I kind of like Predator too. <laughs> I like Danny Glover. I'll watch him do anything. No, I, I'll tell you what though, Predator 2, because I've uh, just, for reference, I've ac- I'd actually not seen any of the Predator films until very recently. Mm-hmm. I've always been a big fan of the Alien franchise and never really watched any of the Predator films. Mm-hmm. But they've decided to watch all of them back to back, leading up to Prey, the latest one. So I've watched Predator 2 for the first time last year, mm-hmm. I think. So yes, watching it for the first time as an adult in 2022 was like, oof. <laughs> yeah. But enjoyable film. Yeah, yeah. And then weirdly enough, this is something that I always confuse myself. Because in my brain, I always think there's more... 80s and 90s Predator films before we get to AVP. The uh, for, for those who don't know, AVP, shorthand for Alien vs. Predator, two films that came out in uh, 2004 and 2007, which we actually did talk a bit about in our Alien episode, obviously. But yeah, I always think there's like at least a third Predator film that happens before then, but it, it's I'm just crazy. I guess it's like it's the Alien ones yeah. that tend to be more prolific, sort of in between late 70s to 90s and then yeah the alien versus predator i can never remember which one is which because there's one that's sort of in the arctic like ancient aliens something something and yeah that yeah one. the first one the first avp takes place in the art like the antarctica uh, and there's obviously some al- ancient aliens shenanigans happening there and then the second one alien versus predator requiem is like, they're both not great, right? But, like, the first one's, like, somewhat enjoyable, and then the second one is just really <laughs> a non-starter. And it, it it brings the aliens into, like, a, a town in the States, and there's a reason why you never do that. <laughs> it's just, it's not great. But, yeah, that happens, and we will talk a bit more about that, because um, we kind of have to. But then, 2010, we come back with just solo, bolo Predator films, The Predator, 
oh no, sorry, Predators comes out in 2010 starring Adrian Brody and it's got a big ensemble cast with some of my favorite boys, Walton Goggins, Larry Fishburne. It kind of rules. I actually really love Predators. It changes the game by putting humans in space on a planet that's basically just hunting grounds for Predators. And I think the film rules. Hot take. Yeah, I think I, think, I remember that being quite fun. Yeah, I like a big ensemble thing. I always just like a film where people get picked off one at a time. And like I said, it's an ensemble cast of a lot of like character actors. And I love a character actor. I like a, a weirdo showing up. <laughs> That's exactly what it says in the tin. Yeah. And it's predators. It tells you exactly what you're looking for. There are multiple predators in there. And then you get the predator. Yeah. That came out in 2018. Yeah. But yeah, just predators crashing on Earth and then shenanigans happen. I haven't seen it. I've heard it's pretty bad. Uh, I remember it not being too bad. If it's the one I'm thinking of, it's the one, spoilers, but you know, it did come out in 2018. It has a human predator hybrid. Yes. I I think that's the one. Yeah. I'm not the person to talk about whether or not it's got some kind of weird writing with regards to neurodivergence but anyway moving on we did get a good predator movie very recently at least yes (laughs) so in uh last year 2022 uh in case you're listening to this in the, the the long future prey came out which serves as kind of a prequel to all the previous films it's like the one that's set the earliest so it's set in 18th century north america where a comanche woman fights against a predator and it really rules it's so good you can watch the whole film in comanche which is amazing and yeah Yeah, i think we did we did when we watched it it's so great it's such a good movie and i'm hoping as a a very good dog which never hurts it's always a plus when there's a very good dog Yes. And it's, it's a very interesting setting. And I know now there's talk of like, oh, what are they going to do the next one in? Will it be like feudal Japan or something? And like, honestly, I'd be happy if they just continue to do like historical films with a predator. I'm a very simple person. I will clap like a seal. Yeah, that'd be really enjoyable. And, and especially if they do it sort of like Prey, where you actually get people from these cultures involved and get their opinion on it. then yeah, brilliant. Yeah, it's I listen, I love a film that tackles both, you know, interstellar horror as well as colonialism. It's just my thing. And obviously, like uh, the Alien franchise, there's lots of comics, video games, all that jazz, which has greatly expanded the lore. And again, like Alien, I think a lot of what we'll talk about is a little bit from is well, mostly from the films, but some of the backstory is taken from this expanded lore because, you know, no one else is going to talk about the, the finer details of the anatomy of a predator in a lot of these films. No, you don't really see an awful lot of it. Except from the few bits where they take off the mask, it just like very sort of scanned bits over the films. Yeah, I mean, actually, that's the funny thing is when I was prepping for this episode, it is kind of hard to talk about the Predator franchise because, I mean, it is so... I don't know. I mean, we. I have this question I was going to ask later on, but I mean, it's probably good to start it now. Is Predator zooarchaeology, like, is that actually zooarchaeology? I mean, we've had this discussion before when we've talked about kind of aliens and things like that. You know, we did uh, episodes on, obviously, Star Wars and Mass Effect. Where do we draw the line when it comes to things like that? 
was good because I was going to say the exact same thing because I'm not too sure where we landed on the Mass Effect episode. Because in a way, like yeah, the zoo archaeology, you would imply that it's, but then, well, that it's an animal, but we're, we're animals. The sort of where do you draw the line? Is it a sentience? Like how sentient they are? I think we did talk about the sentience thing because obviously here on Earth, when we talk about archaeology versus zoo archaeology, it's humans versus non-human species, right? So there's a bit, you know, it's, that's a pretty decent line to draw. Because then you get into questions of like what actually differentiates between a human animal species and a non-human animal species. And then, yeah, I think sentience is what we drew, we ended up talking about, but I think both of us feel very uncomfortable about that being a dividing line. It's, um, yeah. So we'll just say that for the, for the, this is a jokey Halloween episode <laughs> on the Predator. So we'll just decide that it doesn't matter. I mean, because <laughs> it's a fiction, it's a fictional creature. Yeah. So it, we'll, we'll say for now, it's your archaeology. We'll leave that for people in the, the distant future who have to deal with this kind of ethical question. Yeah. No, no disrespect meant to the predators. Like, if, if, if. <laughs> We're not, yeah, we don't want it to get into some problematic thing. We're just going to say zoo archaeology refers to non-human species and leave it at that. I think that's fine. And we can consider the implications of removing humanity from those kind of considerations in the future when it matters a bit more, I guess. Yeah, if, if there's any aliens listening that find this offensive, please Send an email to Tristan. I don't think aliens would get past like the first episode of this podcast, to be honest. I think they'd be like, mm, there's probably something else we can listen to if we want to learn more about this culture. I'd be surprised. Like, no offense to both of us, but come on. Some, some offense. Anyway, so I think now that we've kind of talked about what the franchise and like the actual meta lore of the franchise is, it's probably good to kind of talk about what we're dealing with. So like we said, kind of different than the Alien episode in that, you know, I feel like in, with the Alien episode, we were a bit more comfortable calling it archaeology because aliens are, they are really depicted as creatures in those films, right? Like, they're very much, that's their depiction. Predator, however, again, this goes into the, the sentient being thing, but, you know, they're, they're very humanoid. They have their own culture, their own language. So it's a bit different, I guess, the way we have to tackle it. Yeah, yeah that's a difference, because, yeah, the predators are yeah, a lot more anthropomorphic. Yeah. At least in the fact of them sort of being bipedal as opposed to the xenomorph, they're sort of, what? Doesn't look anthropomorphic, even the ones that come from humans don't look particularly human, even though the hybrid baby bebet thing <laughs> of uh, resurrection. So, <laughs> uh, um, so, to just give you a brief rundown of kind of what the, the story actually is for people who don't know, and I think I'd highly recommend you catch most of these films. They're fun, they're not, you know. They're just fun to watch. You're not watching, you know, Oscar-worthy, although probably really good, but it's a fun watch. But if you don't feel like doing that, real quick, the Predator franchise follows the titular Predator aliens who are traveling trophy hunters who hunt prey from other species on Earth and elsewhere, and they've been doing it for basically thousands of years. They've been contacting modern-day human societies around the world, as well as pre-colonial and colonial 
colonial era indigenous cultures, both in North America and South America. In lore, they've contacted the Comanche, as we said in the film Prey, uh, the Aztecs, which is talked about, of course, in the Alien vs. Predator films, which, again, goes really heavy on the ancient alien stuff, and other ancient civilizations as well, such as the Egyptians, the Khmer Empire, and uh, a fake ancient civilization, again, that they made up for AVP ancient aliens, all other fun stuff. So it's very different from the Alien franchise in that, you know, the Alien franchise for the most part takes place in the distant future. Predator franchise either takes place in the past or pretty contemporary, which is always interesting to think about when you think about both franchises. So yeah, Simone, I guess you talked a bit about, you've kind of just got into this franchise Yes, because I've never been as interested. Because it's one of those things, the Alien franchise, I watched it as mm. a child. Don't, don't ask. I, I, I just... I mean, same. I <laughs> really enjoyed it. Never really got around to watching the Predator ones, but like the franchise didn't appeal to me as much as the Alien film. So I thought, okay, like Prey had just come out. It seemed to be like really, really good. I thought, I'll tell you what, I'll just start from the first one, work my way to Prey, watch them all back to back. They're enjoyable. They do exactly what they say on the tin. Of course, because, you know, the first one came out in 87, you know, all the way through 2022, some have aged better mm-hmm. than others, as I think we've, uh, we've sort of hinted at. But other than that, they do exactly yeah. what they say on the tin, with then Prey being a fantastic film that I really, really enjoyed. Yeah. Overall, I think I'm still on Team Alien. Yeah, same. So I hate to, to plug, and not really plug into the podcast, but there's a podcast called Blank Check I listen to. And they just did an episode on the Alien vs. Predator films, and they actually made a really interesting point about the two franchises that I think also echoes my experiences with it and sounds like also echoes your experiences in that Alien is always kind of, even when the, you know, the Alien films do get bad, <laughs> But even then, they were still always kind of seen a bit more, not high art, but like a bit more esteemed. I mean, you have, you know, the first film is such a monumental impact on science fiction, right? And it's directed by Ridley Scott, who is, you know, a titan of filmmaking. And then you get big Jim Cameron directing the second one. You have people like, even though the third one's not great, David Fincher directs that. So you have like, oscar winner directors handling this material right and then you compare it to the predator which is a bit you know and when i say trashy i don't say it in a derogatory way but like they they do seem to feel like they're at two different levels predator is a bit more of a sort of shoot everything sort of action film and again he does exactly what it says on the tin i find alien there's more especially in the first one that sort of cosmic horror Mm -hmm. Because it is, in a way, meant to be a horror. Yeah. Uh, I do enjoy that a lot more. And I do think as a franchise, even though, you know, like Alien, of course, you know, again, the films came out nearly 50 years ago. So some parts have aged better than others. But I think on the overall, the franchise has aged better. Yeah. So as uh, people get really mad at our opinions on both franchises, I think we should take a break and we'll come back with actual zoo archaeology discussion. Hey, Archaeology Podcast fans. Anyone that's heard me on a show has likely heard me mention coffee one or probably a thousand times. Coffee, however awesome it is, has some downsides and should be consumed in moderation. That's why we partnered with Laird Superfoods. 
They've got lots of stuff, but their coffee and coffee creamers have been engineered to taste better, provide functional benefits, and don't contain any refined sugars. So are you ready to feel more energized, focused, and supported? Go to LairdSuperfood.com and add nourishing plant-based foods to fuel you from sunrise to sunset. Use our promo code ARCPODNETFEED at checkout and save 15% on your purchase today. You can also click the link in your show notes. And we're back with Animals, episode 63. We're talking about the zooarchaeology of the Predator from the Predator franchise. And we're going to actually break down the general anatomy of the Predator, which, I mean, there's not like a lot to real. I mean, there's a lot to say, but there's not as much as, say, the Xenomorph, you know, like they are quite humanoid. Yeah, so I guess we could, we could talk about uh, the, the, the suits. So, yeah, I mean, I figured, because I'm not sure if you've seen this, Simona, the original Predator design from designers Steve Johnson and Boss Film Studios, which I actually had never seen either until somewhat recently. I've sent you a link so you can look at it. No, I've seen it. I quite like it, to be honest. And, and did you see the, the GIF as well? Yes. So just in case... People don't know, uh, just sent Simona a gif of the suit in motion. So it's colored completely red to do the cloaking device special effects. It's a bit silly. So So sneaky. Yeah. So for those who don't know, the original actor to play the Predator was Jean-Claude Van Damme. So they tried to design the suit and to like show off his martial arts expertise, which is so wild to think about a predator film like that but i mean it's more bug-like i think that's the main thing right yes it's definitely a lot more insect-like which again would sort of mirror the alien in yeah. a way so it's it's not as humanoid as what ended up being the final design like the only thing that's I guess humanoid about it is that it's bipedal yeah, and I think that's actually where the, the design starts to get in trouble. So, like, the actual, there's a maquette they've made of the design. It looks so much cooler. It's got these, like, satyr-like legs that, like, bend backwards, which obviously became a technical nightmare trying to do it. Because, like I said, they're trying to design the suit so that they can let Jean-Claude Van Damme do all these wild martial arts, right? But they have to also make the legs bend backwards. So it basically became an impossible design problem where they couldn't both keep that design, but also make a usable suit for stunt actors. So the design gets scrapped and the actual Predator that we now know and love, question mark, depending on how affectionate you are to this franchise, we, we know and acknowledge. We know and acknowledge. I think we actually talked about this a bit in the Alien episode, but the, the, we keep referring to it as the Predator when it does have an in-universe species name, the Yauya. But I think we'll just keep referring to it as the Predator because it's... What everyone knows them as. Yeah, yeah. But it does have a actual species name, so just want to recognize that. And like we said, much more humanoid overall, originally designed by Stan Winston, who is, you know, the amazing special effects and creatures guy who did Jurassic Park and all that other stuff. But yeah, it it became more humanoid, I think, just as a technical thing. It it made it a wearable suit, (laughs) but it was also bigger. And like, instead of going the bug direction, it went the reptile, reptilian direction, which I feel like we talked about in previous sci-fi episodes of that, like, if you're making something science fiction-y, you either go, like, reptilian or bug. 
Yeah, like I would, I always picture it as sort of bug-like, at least sort of like the face, so the the mouth is very sort of mm-hmm. like the mandibles are very insect-like. Yeah, I mean, I actually really didn't think about it until I was started to do notes for this episode of like, yeah, I guess it's always because I've always thought of it more reptile-like, and I think it's because of the skin. And then being like, oh, yeah, I guess the mandibles make it more. And especially when you compare it to the previous design where it does have mandibles, but like really more bug-like. But yeah, so this new design that became the design for the uh, films had two distinctive characteristics. So like the prototype predator, it still had these bug-life features in our case here, more anthropod-like rather than the kind of mantis mandibles that the other one had apparently this is actually a suggestion made by big jim cameron while he was uh promoting aliens he was like sat on an airplane next to stan winston and uh, apparently they were just talking about creature design and he was like yeah i've always wanted to do something with big mandibles so thank you big jim cameron for your your service to this franchise i guess in a way this somewhat closer to the chelicerae of arachnids mm-hmm. Actually, so close enough that there's a whole genus of goblin spider <laughs> named for the alien, Predatorunops, with subspecies named for locations, characters, and actors. Oh. You could do it. But, yep, that there is a spider somewhere out there, brace yourselves, called Predatorunops Schwarzeneggeri. Science is amazing. <laughs> If you take anything away from this episode, is that there is a spider out there somewhere that's named after Arnold Schwarzenegger. Not only named after Arnold Schwarzenegger, named after Predator and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yep. I wonder if he knows. Have he, he been made aware? I mean, must know. Yeah, I'd want someone to tell me if they were naming something after me. But yeah, they're the same mandibles that you, that you can hear in the film, sort of making the distinctive sort of clicking noise. Can you do an impression of the clicking noise? If Tristan could uh, oblige. I mean... I tried. That's an, First of all, that's an audible nightmare um, to hear Sorry. my headphones. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> but I think that's actually kind of close. <laughs> I, I actually... I remember playing the uh, Alien vs. Predator 2005 game. Oh, and, like, I yeah. love playing as the Predator. And I always remember, <laughs> you know, you creep up behind Marines and, like, you're doing that sound. And, like, they're going to hear me. And then I'm like, oh, no, this game was made in 2005. We're fine. <laughs> But no, that was really, uh, yeah, that's that's where I learned it. Uh, but yeah, there you Thank go. You. That's Thank my you. use done. Thank you. Thank you. They also have these very characteristic fleshy appendages embedded into their skulls, which have erroneously been referred to as dreadlocks, but they're actually supposed to be like flesh and in universe according to the expanded lore they're supposed to be really similar to cat whiskers in that they're used to support balance and reflexes so there you go cat whiskers so they're cats I mean I mean is the kind of noise that you do to attract a cat perhaps the predators have just not met the cats that they're looking for and that's why they're clicking all the time has there been a cat in the... Because obviously Alien has uh, yeah, Jonesy, Jones. like, yeah. uh, famously. and But 
does pre- I don't think Predators has a cat. So there's like oh. another L for the franchise. Exactly. <laughs> oh, Jonesy could take them. Yeah, probably. They would probably come back and give Jonesy a, a weapon from the 15th century. <laughs> We'll get into that in a second. Um, so, yeah, within the franchise, as we said, predators are actually more sentient alien beings and they have a very distinct culture. So I feel like we have to actually talk about the culture a bit because it means we can think about them in a more archaeological perspective as well. We can't really do with, say, the xenomorphs. You know, they'll leave behind a material culture. Like, there's a caveat here, of course. We only really see the hunters from the predator species, so it's not entirely clear. And I'm sure there's some, no offense, but nerd out there who's read all the comics and will tell me I'm wrong and that there's like a whole, like, you know, establishing culture of other things. So I don't know if it's their whole culture is actually centered on hunting and war traditions or if it's just the case for the ones that we see. But we are just going to talk about that right now. It could be centered on hunting, it could be hunting as a rite of passage, it could just be like a group of hunters, but then you've called the entire culture the predators, I guess not unlike sort of Scandinavian seafaring populations just all being called Vikings. Yeah. But we'll just talk about the hunting bit, because, you know, they, they are made up. Well, they do have a very specific code of honor with regards to hunting. Uh, again, like Simona said, similar to like a rite of passage or simply for sport. So they will only hunt and kill prey that actually prove a challenge, meaning that they will often spare, you know, pregnant humans, children, and mostly unarmed humans unless they look like Arnold Schwarzenegger because then he's probably a challenge if he doesn't have anything on him so like I'll be safe yeah oh my gosh they would just be like do you need help (laughs) do you want to take some of our weapons just in case speaking of (laughs) because they're hunters they will carry a very specific kit with them that will make them easier to identify this includes a wristband with a self-destruct system in it beautiful a medikit, perhaps most distinctively, a bio-helmet, which allows, of course, to, like, to protect their head, but also to expand their visual spectrum and mimic other species vocally. Which, in fact, like, you don't really see like the predator up until sort of like the very end of the first film, when mm. once sort of the bio-helmet comes off. Of course, there's been lots of variations over the films, but many of them are mostly designed to look very skeletal. So then even their actual approach to hunting is something you could look at archaeologically, because specifically they're trophy hunters. So their kills are very taphonomically distinct. And just real quick, if you don't remember, taphonomy is basically what happens to remains that lead them to look the way they do when we find them as archaeologists. So like real life trophy hunters, their main processing methods for their kills are either skinning or decapitation. So we've actually talked about both of these things in previous episodes, but kind of as a a quick review of what it's like, uh, skidding will leave behind taphonomic indicators on certain bones, specifically cut marks where tendons are connected, so the metapodial bones, for example. And of course, the cut marks would depend on the tool being used as well as the skill in skinning. So I would assume for a predator, I mean, it's pretty good. They famously will just kind of like take the skin off like really easily so they're probably really good at it yeah just a very clean and quick job as well it just seems like a poof yeah <laughs> but uh, the, the capitation in theory will 
unsurprisingly leave behind sort of damage to the cervical vertebra, normally either in the way of a sharp mark or where sort of the bones have been sort of dislocated and torn apart, because in this particular case, it'll be like largely sort of the first thoracic vertebra. But it very much depends on the method. And you can find trauma in parts of the cranium as well. Of course, none of it applies to the predators because they're so strong where they literally just rip out the skull and basically the entire spine with their bare hands. So I guess you, you could argue that maybe there might be some trauma in the lumbar vertebra where it got separated from the rest of the spine. Yeah. I mean, I think there's also the case that if you find skinning and decapitation and there's just very little taphonomic signatures, you just assume that it was probably a predator. <laughs> like... I don't know, that wouldn't be my first thought. It would be like, oh, half of this skeleton is missing. It might be, you know, like natural processes or just the position process. My mind wouldn't immediately go, oh, yes, predator. <laughs> oh, that's that's not what you, that's what I think. If I can't find a taphonomic oh. signature, I go, oh, predators are real. <laughs> they were hanging out <laughs> in, in later prehistoric Britain. <laughs> Could be that that could be the, the the next film we're all waiting for. Call us, come on. <laughs> the predator in Iron Age Scotland. Oh, come on! That's a gold mine. Everyone loves Iron Age Scotland. <laughs> so the other thing, uh, again, as trophy hunters, they may also wear the remains of their prey. So, for example, in Predators, there is actually a predator who wears the partial mandible of a xenomorph on their helmet. So, again, that, that kind of trophy culture and behavior uh, you'd probably see archaeologically. Now, the other thing, and we've kind of, we briefly mentioned this, but I feel like it's important to note because it's, it's kind of my favorite thing about predators like their lore is that when predators are bested in combat they'll actually gift the winner a trophy of their own usually a weapon so this is again kind of spoilers but in predator 2 they come back and they when danny glover has you know kind of saved the day and defeated the predator the other predators come back and they give him a flintlock pistol implying their long history with humans, but also potentially, for us at least, this means that their assemblages might be like a mismatch of artifacts from various time periods and cultures and planets and species, which I guess in retrospect is probably a bit of an archaeological nightmare. But I always thought that was so cool. Cool, but also, yeah, they're just like taking all these artifacts from various time periods. They're not recording the context. They're not putting it's anything down. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Like, oh, do, do better, predators. Do better. That being said, I do love the trope of the, like, recognition from, like, the, the bad guy or, like, the enemy of a story being like, good job, kid. Like, I don't know. I love that. So, like, the first time I watched Predator 2, I was, like, so hyped for that. It's like, yes, they think of him as being so cool. <sighs> I'm a simple person, folks. <laughs> My, I, I like these simple things. I clap like a seal when Danny Glover shows up. Very easy to impress me. It does what it says on the tin. Now, to end on a bummer note, we do need to talk about AVP. <laughs> and again, I think we might have... Yeah, I, I think we might have touched upon this in the Xenomorph episode, but I feel like if we are talking about archaeology, we kind of have to talk about AVP. And for many of the reasons why they're not the best films, one of the other ones is that it's one of those ancient aliens films. It falls into that pseudo-archaeological trope with the reveal that predators taught ancient civilizations how to build pyramids, which... It's problematic 
But I guess in the reverse, does that mean that pyramid architecture is common in their societies? I mean, again, we don't, at least in the films, we don't see much of like their home planet or their culture outside of the hunting predators. So again, it might be in the comics, but yeah, can't get, can't get away from ancient aliens. Unfortunately, people love it. I don't. I feel like most people don't. So just, just please don't. Just stop. (laughs) And as we beg people to stop, um, we're going to take a break and then we'll come back to case studies. And we are back with episode 63 of Archaeo Animals. We're looking at the zoo archaeology of the predators and it's case study time. Although this was actually a really hard case study time to think about because frankly, there are not as many anatomically variant versions of the predator like the xenomorphs in the alien franchise. And I think that's probably because of the, the difference in how each alien species is depicted. Uh, you know, again, we've talked about this sentient being thing. Uh, predators are kind of seen more as sentient beings that have like individual personalities and things like that. And the xenomorphs are seen more as monsters or creatures. So you see more kind of subspecies and more related species being depicted. But And, and I guess also because they are more sentient, like they have sort of they have weaponry they have armor so you like you yeah. barely ever really see them out of their suit so there's there's not as much to talk about yeah because you know i think it's also yeah if you want variety in say the alien films you do need to kind of create a new alien so like a different iteration of the xenomorph whereas with predator if you want a different predator you just fit them with a different you know suit and a different weapon style right yeah, which you'd think that underneath it all look the same, but we'll never know. Yeah, um, I mean, there are some variations of the Predator that we can talk about, and yep. a little, we're stretching it a bit, so apologies. So I think the first one that we do need to talk about, and again, I think we also covered this in our Alien episode, but I think it's worth talking about it again from a different perspective, is the Predalien. Which I think is incredibly cool. A very cool design. I mean, it's the thing that everyone wanted, right? When they were like, we're making an Alien vs. Predator film. The first thing you want is, okay, well, what's the Predalien? Like, that's all you want. <laughs> so, actually, there's also, huh? sorry, in that same game, the 2005 game, they actually had Predaliens. But they kind of looked more like, I don't know, they walked on all fours and they were like bright red. I don't know. I should have added this into the show notes, but like, they were weird. Uh, two seconds. Uh, Pred Alien 2005 game AVP. Let me see. But they were really weird. Uh, they almost look like scorpions, actually, at some point. Or no, was it the 2001 game? I can never remember now. Was it? Like they, yeah, sorry. Were they in Concrete Jungle? They might have been. Because Concrete Jungle. Okay, so Concrete Jungle is uh, a Predator game that also has an alien tie-in where I believe they basically tell you how Mother was created. It's kind of wild. (laughs) It's a wild game. (laughs) But yeah, I can't remember. They do have xenomorphs in that, but I can't remember if they have Predaliens. Yeah, no, I just remember the Predaliens kind of like walking around on all fours and being bright red. I mean, yeah, so 
again, we talked about this in our previous episode, but just to give a quick reminder how xenomorphs work, they do require a host for gestation, but they also develop the ability to take on some of the genetic material from the host itself. It's referred to in-universe as the DNA reflex, which is why the Predalien looks the way it does. Which probably be like the good thing that's come out of uh, AVP. Yeah, again, I think it's the thing that when they announced the films, people are like, well, we, you have to show a Predalien. I mean, it's already like, it's been in loads of AVP related media, but as far as what it looks like morphologically, it's basically like a predator in looks, but it has the the skull. So it has the skull appendages and that outer mandible that like opens up kind of like horizontally and the humanoid figure of a predator. But it also has that elongated skull of a xenomorph. Yeah, because almost like they have, they retain sort of the elongated skull, sort of a mandible of a xenomorph, but they have like almost a double man, well, you know, the double mandible that the xenomorph already has, yeah. plus the outer mandibles of a predator. So that sort of arachnid yeah. mandibles that they had, and also the whisker-like appendages. Yeah, triple mouth and whisker, cat whisker appendages. <laughs> oh, imagine a, a, a cat xenomorph. They never did that. I mean, they did the dog xenomorph. They did the dog, but the cat, I feel like you'll be the ultimate. Just. I'm going to buy a xenomorph costume and put it on my cat. <laughs> like xenomorph with a panther. Like, yeah. The, ooh, that's. Yeah. Bad time. Wasn't the thing in Alien 3, like, they tried to put, like, an alien costume on a whippet and it just didn't work? Yeah. And then they had to. <laughs> I think we talked about it in the episode, but it's like the funniest picture I've ever seen. It's just, it's just a little dog, but it's, it's in an alien outfit. It's so silly. Uh, someone please find a xenomorph costume for my dog. Yes. Or find one for my cat, because this is what we really need to figure out. So yeah, no, Predalien got three mouths. Weirdly enough, apparently the Predator mandibles are mainly used as a weapon and aren't really useful for any other biological standpoint. Yeah, I could have told you that. I don't think anything really needs three mouths, but that's just me. Yeah. Yeah. They don't don't seem to be linked to any sort of the digestive apparatus. So uh, yes, they are very much just for stabby stab. I mean, I guess realistically, the biological standpoint of the xenomorph is to just be the perfect killing machine, right? So it can be as nonsense as it wants, as long as it's going to kill a bunch of people. Anyway, yep. speaking of uh, what, what, dogs, what was the actual quote? They're, they're as, uh, uh, as they are hostile. Uh... I forget how they're described in the first Alien. Oh, yeah. The the uh, thingies uh, in Holmes quote about it, right? It's the just something how like the design is so like perfect in a way, like as perfect as they are hostile. Like, yes, um, I found the quote. You still don't understand what you're dealing with, do you? The perfect organism. Its structural perfection is matched only by its hostility. There you go. You have my sympathies. Different quote. The hey ho. <laughs> It's a good. It's a alien. Uh, is a good movie. It's. A, I don't know if that's a hot take. It's a really good movie. Alien. Really? Sorry, we're talking about Predator. Uh, although actually, our next case study, we're still we're not really talking about the Predator. We're talking about Hellhounds. 
I look like for an episode about the Predators, they've not we've not talked an awful lot about Predator Anatomy. We've talked about the Predator films a lot. We've yes. talked about alien films even more. But now we'll talk about the Predators dogs. dogs. Well, because the kind of dogs, you know. Because they're uh, not, uh, yeah, they're not from the same species. Well, no, but like I said, dogs are not the same species. So I guess it's, yeah, but, but we'll, we'll, we'll talk about them because I guess they're part of, well, they're not part of the culture, their societal structure. They, they keep, they keep animals. Yes. Including, but perhaps not limited to, the hellhounds. But still interesting because it's uh, a xenomorph species that's featured in the franchise and uh this one there's no shadow of a doubt that we are talking zoo archaeology so there you go hellhounds yeah so not predator species but part of the predator culture they are first introduced in predators with an s I mean, they closely represent uh, or resemble their therapsids, which is an order of mammalian-like reptiles, which would first develop some of the characteristics we most associate with modern-day mammals. So, like, they had limb orientation uh, that became more diverse to allow for different ways of movement rather than the kind of like directly to the side that uh, most reptiles have. And I think they really represent that sci-fi trope we were talking about of the reptile iteration of a mammalian creature to make up a weird sci-fi creature design. It makes sense because it just looks so alien. Yeah. Does the job really, and this one in particular really does because it's got it got a lot of spines. Yes, a lot of sort of poly sort of poly horn thing. Yeah, I don't on. know how you even really like they look like ankylosaur spines. You know that dinosaur that has the spines, and it should be noted that in some species of ankylosaur. It wasn't just bone that were sticking out. It was actually like fused to their ribs. So, I mean, that could be something that's happening. But then there's like a lot going on with the skull as well that we need to talk about. Because yeah, that's what I was referring to as well. Like more, more than the spine was the set of husks or horns, almost like in a, in a I forget the term for it, the poly sort of like, you know, multiple horns yeah. sort of sheep species. It's not polydactyl, it's multiple it's digits. Weird. Yeah, like some of them look like tusks, some of them look like actual horns. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> I don't, you know. And of course, they've got a lovely denture on them. Of course. Which I guess is very sort of almost crocodilian-like. I guess. And, and no nose, you just see this exposed like nasal cavities. It's a bit weird. No nose, but like very skeletal. Anyway, we will actually get back to the predator, so... This is actually just an individual predator from the recent film Prey, but I think because they actually did change the design a bit, it might be worth kind of discussing it from an osteological approach. So apparently the in-universe lore suggests that this predator, which is referred to as the feral predator, may actually be from the same species, but a different homeworld or a different kind of environment or climate to explain the difference. And this was actually discussed and unexplained by the concept artist behind the design, Michael Vincent, who said that he used the concept of genetic isolation, actually, with different uh, environmental pressures to explain this 
design change uh, to saying that the feral predator likely comes from a much drier, hotter climate where their appendages are thinner, their oral tissue is thicker, and the skin is actually scalier to retain moisture. And it even, even ha- if you look, it has a different mouth design. Again, if you think about it from that kind of genetic isolation approach, it's probably due to it having to adapt to different prey or food that requires crushing. Which is, it's really interesting that that was baked into the design was like... To be fair, I've got to give it to the concept artist. It is a very cool design. Yes. I find it much scarier looking so than the original. It's a lot more unsettling. Yeah. No, and I like that they've actually thought through kind of... I like when people actually think about the scientific stuff, even though obviously this is all fantasy, so it doesn't really matter realism in that sense. But I like that there was a bit of thought put into you know why would of course it's all made up but it's law building yeah exactly so like a, and it's all like all decisions made with the creature design or so the culture like all made in a purpose manner that it, even though it is a, a make-believe universe it makes it believable and relatable because it 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 has a reasoning behind it yeah, so if you look, so the skull is much more elongated and much more narrow. And for me, I feel like it looks much more like a canine, almost, the the way the skull is shaped. And it also lacks that high, wide skeletal crest that many predators actually have. So it's really cool. And I mean, just in general, prey is just such a cool shifting of the the franchise in general. So again, please watch it. It's so good. Oh, yeah, they knocked out of the ballpark with prey. So yeah. The last one, we do we do need to talk about the predator, the film The Predator, specifically the individual predator from The Predator, the upgraded predator, which is an, it's an upgraded predator. Okay, so this is the 2018 yes. predator film. It's it's where the predator is quote unquote upgraded, but realistically it's it's just a bigger predator, like it's a big chonky boy. It's just Yeah, I mean it's just it seems to have it seems to have jewelry on the head appendages. Yeah, it does. I mean, I think some of them do. Some of them do kind of decorate it, uh, their appendages. Because I think, I mean, realistically, I believe the design was based on uh, Rastafarian hair, which I guess why a lot of people were led to believe they were dreadlocks. Yeah, but you know, in lore, there's it's little fleshy, long things. Anyway, okay. big chunky boy. So in the film, he is an upgraded predator who has been hybridized and has the DNA of lots of other creatures, resulting in very strong traits such as bulletproof exoskeleton skin. Uh, He doesn't actually need the bio helmet to supplement his vision like the other predators. I mean, is that the most exciting thing to discuss from an osteological perspective? But I feel like it's kind of interesting to think about in terms of the futures of archaeology. So like, like, would we be able to identify genetically modified or enhanced animals through the zooarchaeological record alone? Specifically, like, this kind of sci-fi type of stuff. <laughs> Do you not want to even think about it? There's a, well, that's the thing, because I was trying to give an answer to the question, but then in order to do that, I'd have to just picture that happening. Uh so let's not think <laughs> so yeah let's say someone takes a chicken and gives it a bulletproof exoskeletal skin <laughs> it does need to wear a bio helmet <laughs> first of all you fool like you can see it in their eyes they are dinosaurs yes look at them you fool 
I mean, I guess realistically, it's like if it affects them morphologically, like if they become because we know we we are through breeding and stuff, we are kind of doing this, not to the extent as the upgraded predator, but you know, you can see the changes in breeding of certain species, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't think we'll be able to figure out if it has a bulletproof exoskeletal skin unless that means that it preserves better. I'm not sure. Has someone done the experimental archaeology on this? I think on that note, I think that wraps up our Predator episode. But we do have a a final trick-or-treat for this Halloween episode. And this may be a callous way for me to do this, but whatever. Simona is... We've lost Simona, I think. So, okay, here's our trick or treat. Our trick is that after lots of conversation, we have made the decision to end the podcast this year. But, but, okay, this is why I put it as a trick or treat. You know, that may be a trick to some people who may be sad, but here's our treat, a couple treats. One, we are going out on a high. This has been five years of producing potentially listenable content. I'm not sure if it's been listenable, but I hope it has been. So, you know. Five years, yes, it's been well, we'll be well over five years. It'll be, yeah, going on five and a half years. Yeah. So. So I think that's a nice treat. But our other treat is that this isn't the last episode because I think that would be embarrassing. Um, There are are still two episodes coming out before we wrap up. So please stick with us until the end of the year. And of course, our archive episodes will also remain and all the other podcasts on the APN. So it may be sad that we're ending the show, but we're not ending just yet. There's two more episodes. So just see us through to the end of 2023. And I can't promise you that they'll get better, but there'll be more of them. They, they won't get worse? <laughs> we'll see. But yeah, otherwise, in the meantime, you can still follow us on Twitter slash X, whatever you want to call that horrible social media platform. Uh, We'll still be there for now. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Even though we are ending, still, you know, subscribe. Hear our last two episodes as they come out. Give us a nice review as well. We want people to still listen to our nonsense even long after we're dead. So, you know, that's nice. And yeah. And I guess still... Go give the Archaeology Podcast Network some love. Yeah, do that as well, because they'll still be going on. In the meantime, I've been Alex Fitzpatrick. And Simona Falanga, still here. Yeah, for now. For now. For now. And then we'll, ex- we'll, we'll remove ourselves from existence. We'll just disappear. Of course, we've only been made for this podcast. That's hot. Yeah. Secret truths come Bye. Out. Yeah, okay. <laughs> That's the other trick. The other trick. We, we're not real. We've been AI this whole time. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Archeo Animals. Please subscribe and rate the podcast wherever you get your podcast from. You can find us on Twitter at Archeo Animals. Also, the views expressed on the podcast are those of ourselves, the hosts and guests, and do not necessarily represent those of our institution, employers, and the Archaeology Podcast Network. Thanks for listening. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, 
DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.